As you probably know, there are some books in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament that they start in a very unusual way within their own genre. If we're looking at the Epistle of Galatians, for example, it's one of those. It's unusual because Paul immediately after the first verse, he comes into a very harsh criticism to the church and especially to the Judaizers that were trying to move away from the gospel of the grace. His confrontation was unlike of anything that he has written or others have written in the epistles. I think that this morning also the book of Hosea is such. It's such because none of the prophets were asked to do something unusual as Hosea. Nothing so shocking and unprecedented, the command of God to his prophet Hosea. But over the main characteristics of the beginning of Hosea is not just shocking with an unprecedented command of God, but it's actually showcasing the judgment of God, but also his grace and his mercy. There is hope in that judgment. In many ways, we know that that's actually the big story of the Bible. Already from Genesis chapter 3 to the end, this is really the story of the Bible. When sin came into the world, judgment came as well. But at the same time, even though God promised that on the day that you shall eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. We know that by God's grace, that physical death didn't come immediately. But later on, even though the spiritual death came immediately. But we see also another gracious act of God in that very much chapter, the chaotic chapter of chapter 3. That was the fact that even though God's punishment came on Adam and Eve and the serpent, and of course the generations of Adam and Eve, which we are inheritant of that, God gave a promise of hope. In Genesis 3.15, God gives a promise that the day would come that the seed of the woman shall prevail the seed of the serpent. Now, we don't know how much Adam and Eve understood about the coming of Christ, but we know that what was coming was the promise of hope in the midst of the judgment. And so we see the same thing throughout the scriptures. And I think that really when we can trace that pattern throughout all of the scriptures, that there is judgment and salvation, chaos, and also hope. James Hamilton in his book called The Glory of God in Salvation Through Judgment, he argues that this is the center of the biblical theology. As throughout the scriptures, we find that repetitive acts of God's judgment and also salvation. And that's exactly what we find so closely in the book of Hosea. I think to understand fully and better uh, the message of Hosea, it would be helpful to say a few words about the 12 
prophets who are called minor prophets. I believe that it was Augustine that gave that not so best name or, uh, to the 12 prophets, calling them the minor prophets, because usually when we think of a minor, we think something that is a bit less than other things. But I think he probably what he meant wasn't in terms of their message, but in terms of their size. Even though if you take all the 12 minor prophets and you put them together, in terms of their size, they can compete with Isaiah, Jeremiah, or even Ezekiel. The 12 prophets uh, can easily be divided into two. Uh, the first nine are considered the, the pre-exilic. These were the prophets, including Hosea, that wrote before the people of Israel were sent to exile. And the last three prophets, namely Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, are what we consider the post-exilic, who wrote after God brought back the people of Israel from Babylon into, to build Jerusalem. And I think the, the main message of the pre-exilic prophets to the people of Israel and Judah was that judgment of God is coming. And if you do not repent, you would be punished. And yet, in all of their messages, there is also hope beyond the judgment. A glorious future that the highlight of it is actually in the coming of Christ. Each of the 12 prophets in his own ways and words points to the great hope that the people of Israel can look forward to it. And the message of Hosea, the first of the 12, is very sharp and clear as it's demonstrated in this first chapter. Now Hosea, already in the very beginning of his call, is commanded by God in an extreme and unusual way, almost against the moral norm of back then and even today. Nowhere in the scripture does God ask his prophet or his apostle to take a prostitute as a wife. More challenging to marry a prostitute, an adulterous woman, was the unusual command of God that the reason he's asking his prophet to do that is not because of his sin, but it's because of the sin of the people of Israel to which he was called to be a prophet. But rather than showing that through different means, God is using something that is very visible by asking his prophet to marry an adulterous woman. And in that, to show the depth of the sin of the people of Israel. And Hosea, immediately after a short one-verse uh, introduction, similar, by the way, to the introduction in the book of Galatians, begins with God speaking to Hosea, and he says to him, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. And if this is not hard enough to hear and obey, God tells his prophet the reason for that. And he says, the land has committed also great harlotry. There was a connection 
between the people and the land in which they were living. And their idolatry was so deep that even the land committed idolatry. Imagine for a second what was going on in the mind of Hosea. He's kind of saying to himself, so I'm supposed to ruin my life by getting a harlot woman and to have children with her. And all of this because of the sins of my people. As you know, being a prophet in the Old Testament was not an easy job. But to emphasize the gravity of their idolatry and their depravity, Hosea uses the same Hebrew words of Zana, Zain Nun Hey, four times in verse 2. I know in English it's translated only three times, but in Hebrew it appears four times. And this is a clear clue to the depth of the sin of Israel and how much God is grieved with their sin. The relationship of God to his people was a covenant relationship in the same way that the marriage of a husband and a wife is a covenant. And the unusual request of God from Hosea was to showcase the depth of the sin of people to the relationship that he would have with Gomer. By the way, that's, of course, the same relationship that Christ has with his church, his bride. And that is the same reason why our sins today is so grievous to the Holy Spirit. And to impress how horrible the offense of Israel was against their God, the prophet was not only asked to marry Gomer, a harlot, but also to have children from her. In fact, the prophet didn't have the option of naming his own children. But rather, God gave them name as a visible sign to remind him, but also the people of Israel, about their unfaithfulness. The first was a son who was to be called Jezreel. And he says, For God will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel and will bring an end to the northern kingdom. In 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10, we read about the bloodshed that happened in Jezreel of King Ahab and all of his sons. And it was happened by Jehu who murdered them. And here God declares that he will punish the house of Jehu and will put an end to the northern kingdom of Israel, which of course we know that indeed it happened. The second was a daughter and was to be called Lo Ruhama, no mercy, for God will have no mercy on the house of Israel. And the third was a son to be called Lo Ami, not my people, for they are not my people and I am not their God. Back then, by the way, not only the prophet had a hard time, but also the children of the prophet came also with a baggage as well. You know that these three children 
are the three judgments of God on Israel. And every time that Hosea or Gomer or anyone would call their name, they would be reminded again and again and again of the unfaithfulness and the judgment that God would bring as a result of that. It was right in front of their eyes. They were reminded every single time. And yet, there was still time for Israel to repent and to forsake their idol worshiping and return to the one and true God. That was true then. It was true at the time of John the Baptist and Christ, where he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's why also the author of Hebrews urges his readers and us today by saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart in rebellion. God always gives us a chance and another chance and another chance. But the time would come that it would be late. And the people of Israel, they hardened their heart and eventually they were exiled. One of the darkest periods in the history of our people. So let us not harden our hearts today, but to listen to the warning of God's coming judgment. But amazingly, also in the book of Hosea, God presents both his judgment and at the same time, and almost immediately, the hope as well. A future hope that would follow the judgment. But it would be an independent and a pure act of the mercy and the grace of God. Judgment and salvation came together, almost hand in hand. And yet in both, God is glorified. And his glory is man's chief end because we are called to enjoy God forever and to glorify him. In fact, not only in the first few verses we find the pattern of judgment and hope in Hosea, but the whole book is about that. And the chapters 1 and 2 serve kind of as an introduction to the whole book and, in fact, to much of the old, the 12 minor prophets. Hosea opens before us, in fact, the doors of the courtroom. And he writes as if he's broadcasting live from the courthouse. The accused are Israel and Judah. And there is an indictment against them. They have transgressed against God and God's law and have broken his covenant. In Hosea 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Sadly, I have to say that this is also true in Israel today as we have set God aside and have become a godless in so many ways. 
in that court house, the judge is none but Yahweh himself. And the verdict, guilty on all charges. The judgment was pronounced and will be executed. But eventually, the same judge calls them to return to him so that he would receive them graciously and that his anger would turn away from them and he would love them freely and he would be like a do to Israel and they shall grow like the lily and the roots be like Lebanon and its beauty shall be like the olive tree as we read in the last chapter of the book of Hosea in chapter 14. We know that in Mount Sinai, God made a covenant. And part of that covenant, he said to them, you shall not have any other gods before me. And the people of Israel continuously broke that again and again. Hosea began and being the first of the 12 minor prophets, by the way, the order of the 12 minor prophets is not chronological, but concisely he packed for us both the judgment and the mercy of God together. And verse 7 begins with the word but and continues to say that God will have mercy on the house of Judah. And these words came immediately after the previous verse where Hosea was to call the name of the daughter no mercy. But now to the house of Judah, God says that he will have mercy on them and will even save them. Judgment can never be the last word of God who is gracious. His judgment indeed is real, as was seen by the exiles of Israel and eventually Judah. Even the Jerusalem, the city that the name of God was upon it, was destroyed, and the magnificent temple that was built by Solomon. The book of Lamentation laments not only the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, but the death and the pain of the people who were in Babylon. And yet, even when they were in Babylon, God assures them that eventually he would bring them back, he would give them a future and also a hope. And a similar response and pattern we see again and again with the third child. The third child is called, not my people, but immediately after it in verse 10 we read, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. And later he adds, and in the place that was said, you are not my people, will actually be said to them, children of the living God, and the children of Judah, and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. God is indeed just and righteous, but he's also gracious and full of mercy and love. Chapter 2 begins with these amazing and encouraging words of God to those whom God called, not my people, and no mercy. He says, say to your brethren, my people, 
and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Such is God, people of God. Such is God that calls us to come to him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. We can see the folly and the foolishness of the people of Israel. That rather than worshiping the one and true God who appeared to them and showed them his mercy and his miracles in so many ways, and yet they were turned to idols made by hands from wood and stone. And how foolish we are as human beings. And of course, this trade was not just the trade of the people of Israel back then, but it's also now and also today. How many people ignore the beauty of God's creation? You know, this morning, as I wake up in the house of uh, Harry and Rose, I open the window, and I can see the mountains on the back, the green everywhere, and the birds were singing. And it shows the beauty of the creation of God, of the creator, and how often people close their eyes to the creator God who has created such a wonderful world for us. And how many times the people reverse the order of creation and exchange their sexual identity or have ruined the sacred covenant of marriage that is only between one man and one woman. Though Hosea is the first of the 12 prophets, his message is not totally unique in the book of 12, though far more shocking than others. While others didn't have to go to that extreme that God asked them to marry a prostitute, yet the message that God gave them was very similar. In the book of Joel, for example, we see a similar pattern of judgment and hope, destruction, but also reconstruction. The prophet begins his message with one of doom and destruction about locusts, different kinds of locusts that invade the land. And yet soon, his message is turned into one of hope and restoration. As he says that the Almighty will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And in the last chapter of the book of Joel, that he prophesied that the Lord, being a refuge to Israel and Judah, they would have the knowledge of the Lord. The book of Amos begins with eight judgment statements on eight people, including the last two being Israel and Judah. And in all of them, there is a repetition phrase, for three transgressions of the nation, and for four, I will not provoke the judgment, which is again the indictment of God on the people. Again and again, also Amos tells the people of Israel in various ways that God has given them the opportunity to return to him. And yet, he says, you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. How sad it is that despite of God calling them again and again to repent, they did not return. But also Amos, only in the last few verses of the last chapter, we hear 
the words of hope and salvation as the Lord will once again reverse his judgment. The dry land will be filled, it says, with water. The unfruitful land will bear fruit and he will replant them in the land after he has uprooted them. And above all, he says that he would raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. We don't have time to go to all of the other books. You find it even in the short book of Obadiah, that even though it's related to God's judgment on the Edomite, yet at the end, there is a picture and a promise of hope for Israel and Judah. And at the end, he says, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And this is what we also read in the book of Revelation. It says that the kingdom of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We cannot, as I said, look at the rest, but Hosea sets the tone for all of them. God is not done with his people of old, despite their many shortcomings and sin. And ironically, God in his unsearchable wisdom uses the fallen Israel and through them sends the Messiah, the seed of the woman. One would think that the last people from whom Christ would come would be the idolatrous and adulterous people of Israel. But God often uses the weak and the sick to showcase his strength. To Hosea's prophecy, Israel has become a showcase for the grace and the goodness of God. And in conclusion, the book of Hosea, as an introduction, really shows not just the judgment of God on Israel, but also his mercy and his grace. Hosea certainly in this chapter points clearly to the unfaithfulness of Israel and Judah, but at the same time to the faithfulness of God himself. But ultimately, Hosea points us to Christ, who came not for the healthy, but for the sick, who need a physician and a savior. He came for the sinners who need a savior, who cannot save themselves of their sin and their misery. But like Hosea, he was willing in obedience to the father to take a bride that was an adulteress, an idolatrous. Hosea bought Gomer back from another man again and again. But the price that Christ paid was far more than anything that riches can buy. So unlike Hosea, Christ paid for his church the highest price in his life by his broken body and his shed blood. He paid the price of his life to purchase us who, like Gomer, are adulterous. His love for his church was so deep and so great that he came down from heaven, lived among us, 
and died the most painful and humiliating death, death on the cross. And he drank the cup of the wrath of God fully due to our sins, due to our idolaters and adulterers. And he did not leave even one tiny drop for us, for his bride, but he drank it fully and totally. But in his loving act, he demonstrated to us salvation through judgment. And in both, he was glorified and he continues to be glorified. So congregation of Heath, the message of Hosea is for each and every one of you and also for me. Because it points us to Christ, the only one who can save us from our miseries. And it encourages us. The message of Hosea encourages us to know that no matter how far we have fallen, no matter how deep or how old we are, with God, there is always hope. And if he could save the idolatrous Israel, he could save each and every one of us. So this morning, I do hope and pray that you know personally Christ and his glorious gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word. We thank you for these words of Hosea that show us the depth of our misery and depravity. And at the same time, in the same page, shows the grace and your mercy. Grace and mercy that is given to us undeserved your enemies and yet you paid the highest price by sending your son to take upon him our judgment. Thank you for the example of Hosea and Gomer that so much shows us the relationship of Christ to his church, his bride. As your enemies, you took us and made us your bride. You made a covenant with us, a covenant that was sealed with your broken body and your shed blood. Help us, Father, to comprehend, even in a small way, the depth of your love, the depth of your care, and also the grace that you have so lavishly poured upon us. Thank you for not only calling us to be your people, but making us as your children, that we can cry to you 
Abba, Father, because indeed, through Christ, you have become our Heavenly Father. We thank you and we pray this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior. Amen.